Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestseller, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next Chaos Crushing Guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, and welcome back. I hope wherever this finds you, you are doing well. And with all that's going on in our economy since the pandemic hit, I want to share with you a person who I personally consider a valuable resource when it comes to managing money. My friend and today's guest is Rainier Trinidad. He is a chartered financial analyst. He's going to tell us all about what that means in our conversation. He is by trade a wealth manager, but what I like about Rainier is that he wants everyone to be successful with investing their money. From those who are minimally able to do that and just put a few dollars away every month to those who have plenty and are looking to maintain or grow their financial stability into retirement. Now, we do have upcoming guests that focus on how to actually plan for retirement and one specifically about what do you do when you've acquired some wealth and you wanna pass it down through the generations. But with everything going on in the current immediate situation, in our conversation, Rainier helps us understand the different types of ways that a person can utilize the skills and the knowledge of a financial analyst. Like just because it's called wealth management, wealth is about what you've saved. And so it doesn't have to be a lot to be considered wealth. And, um, and most importantly, He's going to bring us some really practical advice. And I say us because I'm in this with you. I really don't know about what's the best way to save and what I should be doing with my money. So I'm in this really because I wanted to have Rainier on and pick his brain. And I just decided to do it with an audience. So he's going to bring us some really practical advice about what you can do and what we can do today to help us take the steps that are going to make us more financially stable in the future. All right. And before we get into the interview, I want to tell you to be on the lookout for my blog post this week. And in fact, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. I did an actual repackaging of the book that I launched last year for women. Uh, some of you may have recalled, some of you may have even read it. Stop Bitching, Just Lead. You know, I was under a deadline and needed to come up with a title and I went with something I thought was like eye-catchy and salesy, but that's not me. And for as much as it sold well and the people that have been reading it have been giving me great feedback on it and I'm super proud of that, I actually wrote this book because I wanted it to be in the hands of as many women as possible. And I realized that that name for as much as it's not only not me to say that to another woman, even though there is another uh, meaning to it that does not have to be something that could be off-putting, you know, it just, it was stifling me from even promoting it. And then I was talking to someone who said they wanted to even see if they could get adopted into a school for girls as part of their curriculum. And I just thought, how are they going to do that with that title? And so if I'm having that dilemma and I wrote the book, I'm like, well, what is, something is really wrong. So 
what I did is I went ahead and repackaged it. And of course, there's a lot of repackaging of products going on today. Um, and so this is just one of a lot and thankfully not for such uh, tragic reasons. And so what I'm doing though, I'm doing this not because I wanna sell it, I want it to go for free. I want, of course people can buy it and I love it, it supports what I do and all these extra product projects like the podcast and the book writing and the books that are gonna come out in the future. I'm working on the next workbook which will be on leadership for men uh, because I like to be an equal opportunity teacher and the thing is, I just want it in the hands of a lot of people. So in my show notes with this episode is a link, uh, two links in fact. One is gonna be for a direct PDF download where if you want it um, and to have it that way, you can just get it and download it and have it on your computer. And the other way will be that if you happen to have a membership to Kindle Unlimited, you can actually get it free there and it'll download right into your favorite Kindle device. I hope that you go ahead and take that opportunity to get that book. And for the men out there, maybe the woman in your life would like it. Maybe your daughter could benefit from it. I opened the book with my own personal story of how I found myself uh, sleeping in my car uh, when I was 17 and uh, over a high school graduation and kind of the stumbling blocks that I hit along the way to get myself together and get into positions of leadership in my life. And so then it goes on to share lots of inspiring stories as well as tried and true exercises that I designed over the last 18, 19 years of doing this that have truly benefited my clients and my own life uh, to help us get ahead. So I wanna share that with you. So uh, if you go ahead and download it, I just hope that you find it useful and you share it with other women in your life that you love. And speaking of women, out a couple, and I don't do a lot of the shout outs, but we're in a time where people need to know that they are heard and listened to. And so I wanna, uh, in particular, shout out to listener Tiffany and say thank you for the truly lovely email. And I know we're already corresponding, but just what a surprise. And um, I always love to get surprise little emails or um, those reviews that some people are leaving on iTunes and the other places where you're listening to the podcast. I truly, just every time I see one and see somebody's kind words, it really truly makes my day. So I need to shout out more of that and let you all know how much that touches me because we've all been pretty isolated lately. And if you're taking that effort to reach out to me, I want to let you know for sure that I am hearing you and I need it as much as you all need it to be in contact. So thank you so much. I truly, truly appreciate it because this is so much work to do on top of the life that, that, that I live. And, um, I am just grateful that people are appreciating what I am putting into this. So on that note, I'm going to stop all the gushing for today and say, let's get into this interview with Rainier. He is a fellow San Diegan, but he can be truly valuable to you no matter where you live. So here's our conversation. Hi, Rainier. Thanks for being with me on the show today. I know that you are a chartered financial analyst, and we are going to get into that in just a second. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit about, um, so that the audience knows, because I know you personally for a couple of years now here in San Diego, can you talk a little bit about 
who you are and how you got into wealth management and, you know, maybe what your family background is. Cause I know sometimes that really inspires people to move forward in their lives. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Colleen. Um, so first of all, I was born in the Philippines where I grew up in poverty and I moved to the United States when I was six years old. Uh, back then my dad emphasized from the very beginning the importance of education and how it can open doors, no matter where he came from or where he stood on the economic ladder. So it's, it's the American dream. So I took that to heart and focused a lot on my schooling. And I went to the University of Washington up in Seattle, where I double majored in economics and Japanese. And during my one-year foreign exchange program to Tokyo, Japan, I got bitten by the investing bug. And it was like a whole new world opened up for me. It was, uh, it was just endlessly fascinating. And it made what I was studying economics completely applicable in the real world. I couldn't stop thinking about it and I kept reading a lot of books on investing in my free time and that's when I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an investment manager. So when I graduated, I got my start as an assistant portfolio manager at Wells Fargo's Wealth Management Division up in Seattle. It's amazing and I love to hear stories when people are studying something and then all of a sudden it clicks for them and they find the avenue in that area of interest that they just have a passion for. And it sounds like that's what happened for you and you kind of went on the fast track right into that without hesitation. Absolutely. Now, um, I'm 45 and a lot of people still tell me that I look very young for my age. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine back when I was in my early 20s, I like to joke that I looked like I was 10 years old. I bet. <laughs> when you deal with people's money, you know, especially large sums of money, uh, they typically want someone who looks like they've been doing this a long time. Someone who looks older, maybe a bit more gray hair. So back then, I actually got a few people who told me that they couldn't work with me just because I looked too young. Mm -hmm. And I felt awful about it. And though I could understand where they were coming from. So some of the senior portfolio managers suggested to me to look into getting the CFA. And what's the CFA? It stands for Chartered Financial Analyst. And if you Google around for it, you'll find that it's considered one of the hardest tests on Wall Street to pass because eight out of 10 people fail to get her on their first try. Wow. And I put in about, about 1,200 hours of studying and passed 18 hours of, of exams over the course of three years to get it. And once I got it, people didn't care anymore that I looked young. And they just say, oh, you got the CFA? Here's my money. Yes. Or maybe it was just the gray hairs that I got trying to pass that exam. <laughs> right. Well, that's something when people who have the kind of wealth that go to traditional wealth managers, they'll know the difference. And that's what you're saying. You've figured out what's the credential that's going to give me the most clout at this young age or for any age, really. And it just bypassed any, any age restrictions that your appearance might have given you on the job. And it's funny that you mentioned that because in my profession, we have that too. And all these young therapists get told, oh, you don't, you don't have enough life experience. And, and really, on our end, we know that our work is about the relationship and quite frankly you're and about the knowledge that we have and that's the same for you it's going to be the knowledge that you have and then the relationship that you develop with your clients right absolutely and i bet your dad your parents are probably really uh super proud of what you've created i hope so i i hear i hear they say that but that's it's appreciated they gave me the guidance and that's that's how I got to where I am. What is it that you actually love about this? So it, I hear how it clicked for you. What do you love about what you do? Oh boy. Uh, well, there's a lot that I love about what I do. Um, investing is, is a constantly evolving puzzle and it constantly challenges you because the rules of engagement are often changing. It involves economics, finance, the psychology of fear and greed. And along the way, if you do a good job, it can also make you a lot of money. And what I love about it is that this is something I'd be doing on my own free time and I'm blessed to have it as my career. So it doesn't feel like work. 
when podcasts have guests on that are in the financial planning uh, world, it's to help them kind of understand like, oh, here's the basics and things like that. But right now we have a lot of people under stress and I'm actually having you on right now because of the current stress that people are feeling about our economy. Because we do have episodes coming up uh, for for you, the listener, uh, where we're talking about how to plan for retirement, where we're talking about how to pass your wealth down through the generations. But for right now, we're in an economic crisis, we've had 40 million people unemployed. And so even those who are financially stable still feel the uncertainty of what is happening and what can happen as long as this pandemic goes on. So I had you on specifically because I know from all the times that I've seen you talk about what you do, that you have this reputation that is about really protecting your clients and figuring out a way to avoid the storms or to kind of ride them out. And I know that when the crash happened in like 07, 08, when the, the housing bubble happened and, the, and there was that economic crash, that you have a history of your clients were protected, their investments were protected during that time. I think you said that they didn't actually lose much at all during that time. Can you talk about what you did or you know, what kind of magic was happening back then with you and your clients? How did that happen? Uh, that was an amazing time. Uh, back then, I was co-managing a hedge fund, which I did for 10 years from 2003 to 2013. And one of our biggest focuses was to take advantage of mispricings in publicly traded real estate stocks. They're called REITs. And to do it in a way that reduced risk as much as possible. The idea was to hit singles and just get on base and not aim for home runs. Uh, by avoiding the biggest disasters, our belief was that you could do significantly better than the market over time. Now, when 2008 came, we had two kinds of bets that we held at the same time. One was a group of stocks that we thought were going to rise, and another group of stocks that we were betting were going to fall. Uh, this is called a market-neutral portfolio. Now, in 2008, when everything fell, it fell hard, but the high-quality, strong balance sheet companies that we held fell a lot less than the low-quality, highly-leveraged stocks that we were shorting. And those got absolutely destroyed. And we made money off the difference between the two groups of stocks. That year, we had our best year ever, and that was because we had protections in place and focused on reducing risk and avoiding big losses should the unexpected happen. Goodness. Did your clients just like throw you parties every other day? I mean, that's amazing <laughs> that you were able to protect them in that way and actually have your best year ever. That's incredible. They were really happy. I assume that you know like where that would put you. I'm sure there's not a lot of people in your world that can make that claim. I think there was a study from Morningstar that showed the number of investment managers that made money in 2008. And I think they had a couple thousand that they reviewed and only one made money and it was like less than 1%. Oh my goodness. So for us, we were we were well over... Uh, over 10% uh, in the teens, actually, but we weren't part of that study. So we were left out. Oh, incredible though. My goodness. Currently, and this happened mainly, I heard people initially panic a lot in March, early April. And I personally had conversations with people who had been saving and were either very close to retirement, in retirement, uh, or even in early retirement. And after being so smart about their investments over the years, 
three separate conversations I can think of I had with people who expressed their fears and said they were thinking of, and one even said their advisor advised them to do this, to pull all their money out temporarily of their portfolios because they thought there was going to be an immediate crash in like April or May. And I don't believe that they actually did that. But is that ever really a good idea for people instead of riding the storm out, pull the money out and wait and see and then put it in? Can that work for someone? Or is that just a crazy way of trying to just save something that's crashing? Well, sometimes it's a, it's a good idea, but it's very, very difficult to get it right. Mm. Now, number one, people often get the timing wrong. You know, over the past 20 years, the most often I've gotten calls to pull money out is near the bottom after the market has already fallen a lot. Yes. Uh, people tend to extrapolate. And after they've seen a big decline in, the, in their portfolios, their fear takes control and they think it'll continue to get worse. But little did they realize that everyone has already sold. And so by succumbing to that fear, they set themselves back significantly and tend to lose out on some of the best times in history to invest. Mm. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, after the market has run up a lot, you get more people who become convinced that all the market can do is go up and they get greedy and are willing to take on more risk. And up here, the typical person isn't afraid of a crash. Instead, they get caught up in the fear of missing out because they think it'll just keep on going higher. And people who were afraid of the market suddenly come back in and all of a sudden, people's risk tolerance has grown. And I see the data over and over. You know, that is when the markets rise, risk appetite goes up. And when the market falls, risk appetite goes down. And so the key here is, and it's been said before, you should be greedy when others are fearful and you should be fearful when others are greedy. And there are some great tools I use to help gauge that. And back in January, I used these tools to reduce risk when everyone was greedy. And in March, I used those same tools to buy more stocks when people were fearful. And there was another point that I wanted to go make is that when the market does fall, we never really know if it's just, if it's just going to be the garden variety, mild pullback or a bigger crash. In my 20 years of doing this, there's always some commentator in the media that's yelling about how overvalued the market is and why it's due for a crash. And they say it for years and years and years until finally they get it right. And you know the saying, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes. I'll admit, I used to be one of those people that, that always was concerned about the valuation of the stock market. You know, but I came to the realization that valuation-based price targets as a tool for where the market should trade in the short term is horribly, horribly wrong, probably 80 to 90% of the time. And that's what a lot of those commentators are, are making their comments based off. Now, something effective shouldn't be wrong that much. What I'm saying is probably heretical for many in the business, but 20 years of doing this has taught me that there are many other forces, some emotional, think fear and greed, some artificial, think of the Federal Reserve, that can keep prices far away from their equilibrium levels for many, many years. It's my job to be aware of those emotional and artificial forces and take advantage of them to make clients money and also protect them from, from those losses. This isn't something they teach you in the CFA books. It's something you pick up in school of hard knocks. So in doing that, when these commentators are all over the news, giving that information that for the most part is 80% wrong, um, as you were saying, what can people do when they get caught in that emotional getting amped up emotionally about all of that. What would you tell them? Because you'll get people calling you that are like, oh, I want to do this. And you know, it is not the right thing for them to do. How do you turn a client around and get them to understand that 
it's better for them to either wait or to do an investment when maybe they're trying to get you to pull their money out? It's very difficult depending on the, the mindset of the client because when you have a loss, it becomes very, very painful. And when you have a, a big loss, all people want to do is just eliminate that fear, whether it's rational or not. They want to just sell the portfolio and get out. It's my job to hold them back from jumping over that cliff. I show them the data. I show them the long-term chart of the stock market. I tell them, hey, look, you know, we've gone through recessions. We've gone through wars. We've gone through A, B, and C. And the market has always come back. And once they tend to get a better grip of, of the long-term of the you know the long-term return of the stock market, the, despite all the challenges that it's gone through, they tend to be a little bit more okay with it. And I tell them not to look so much at their portfolio from day to day or from week to week, you know, but just let it go through its ups and downs and over time it will rise. And that tends to help out. And it comes into play that having someone who's actually there to care about their investment is super important. And we are going to get to some more information about that in just a second. But first I want to talk about, you know, speaking of having someone to call when they are in desperate feelings about their finances and their investments, you know, how does someone figure out who to go to when they want to start investing or retirement planning? You gave us the short version of what it took for you to become a chartered financial analyst, but there are so many different titles out there. It seems to be there's financial planners, financial analysts, there's those um, investment robo-advisors. Can you talk about the different credentials and experience and then also kind of add on a little bit about those robo-services and let us know like what would be the risk of going with something like that? I would recommend looking for investment advisors who either have the CFA or the CFP designation. The CFA stands for Chartered Financial Analyst and CFP stands for Certified Financial Planner. Now, these guys, uh, they have invested a considerable amount of time to earn these designations. And in addition, they're bound by a code of ethics that puts the client's best interest first. That's, that's a really big deal because as crazy as it sounds, in some areas of the market, putting the client's best interest is not a requirement. So when you have people with the CFA or CFP designation, the client comes first, that tends to keep their costs a little bit lower. As for the difference between the two, the CFA side tends to have a deeper knowledge of the investing process, the economics and financial statement analysis, while the CFP will be stronger in the estate planning and financial planning processes. Uh, but both can do a pretty good job of helping someone invest their savings prudently. Interesting. When you look at the robo-advisors, you don't have that customized uh, approach, a personalized approach. It, it is a robot after all. And can you talk about that? I actually didn't know the term until we were going to do this interview. I've thought of like the Ameritrades and the app-based stock um, investment services and my own disclaimers that I've certainly gone and said, oh, I heard this was good. Or my friends invest a lot and says, here, you should invest in this. And I go and do it. And then of course, you know, not even a few weeks later, I'm out my money. But um what exactly are robo-advisors? They are online platforms that have been programmed using a lot of historical analysis, a lot of, a lot of behavioral research on, on investors. Uh, it's all based on academic research and based on the client's risk tolerance or time horizon that they've got to invest. These online platforms will automatically invest your portfolio. 
and uh, they, they do it for a significantly lower cost than a live advisor. And so for many people, it's, it does a pretty good job. It's a, it's a set and forget type of investing process. Um, but every once in a while, like we've seen in 2020, the market can have these horrible declines. And that's the situation where the typical investor becomes really emotional and really fearful and panicked. And uh, like I mentioned before, they just want to eliminate that pain itself. And there's nobody there to walk them back from the edge of that cliff. And my understanding is that these robo-advisors had actually done pretty poorly during the, the crisis uh, in, in this year uh, because of those uh, those clients that sold out and they didn't really have uh, anyone to to reason them back into staying in the market. Yeah. And that's when people then get a bad taste about investing when they, and, and it's often people, I think probably like myself, I started doing my own, like trying out investing here and there other times in life when I was doing this, I just thought, well, I don't have enough money for a financial planner to take me on, or they're just going to laugh at me when I say, hey, what can you do with this paltry amount of savings I had at the time? And I know now that that's not really true. And I'm, I'm hoping that you can validate that too, that the average person, the average American can go in with what they have saved up and get someone who will respect them, no matter if it's 10 million or a thousand or something to start, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's not the amount, you know, it's it's about the mindset of getting yourself to be in a habit of saving and prudently investing. And you know, everybody starts small. Everybody starts small. And we just catch people at different parts of our lives. And it's our job to help them out regardless of where they are in that stage. Everyone starts small. That's one of the things in my own coming into more financial stability over the years in business that I have to keep reminding myself it's been good advice for clients in other areas of life. Like we all have to start somewhere. We don't all start at the end. Certainly that's, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to start with what we have for retirement. The goal is to start now and move forward. So on that note, since anybody can go and hire a financial planner or a chartered financial analyst, what should someone expect as far as that service that they're going to get from that person that they'll hire? You know, should they expect that they can call you up and talk to you on the phone in a relatively quick amount of time? Like, are you accessible? Should they be able to ask you whatever questions they want? Would they expect that you could educate them? on certain aspects so that they don't feel like they're just turning it over and they have no say. Can you talk a little bit about the service that would be provided from an individual person doing the wealth management? Sure. I think the key here is to find someone who's open to communicating on a regular basis. Now, maybe once a quarter or semi-annual period, just to at least make sure the client's investment plan is on track. Uh, when, but when something sudden, like what we experienced happens, of course, the, the communication would be more, more timely, more frequent. A lot of times, though, things are more stable, and there isn't as much of a need to tell you that the paint is drying. Um, I like to make myself available by phone, text, email, or even social media, but I'll also have blog posts on a website to let people know what I'm thinking. So that's an additional way for clients to see how my thinking is evolving on the market. Um, for, for other clients, some, some of them may want uh, more education, and I'm happy to talk to them about this 
uh, I'm a nut when it comes to the stock market and I could talk about this for hours, but uh, most of the clients that I have really have no interest in it and they just want someone to watch it. And that's where I come in uh-huh. and they're happy to, to not hear from me very often, but I'll give them those updates uh, whether they like it or not. Interesting, right? Some people will feel more secure and certainly once they have had you for a little while, they'll understand they can just trust the judgment, you're managing it well for them. Yes. When someone starts to accumulate savings, uh, and we have so many people right now that are coming off of unemployment, some businesses actually made money during this time because it just was whatever work that they did allowed them to actually prosper during this time. So we have this whole uh, mix of financial security and insecurity in a vastly different way than we probably ever had before. And when Someone, though, is starting to accumulate savings. They get all sorts of input about where they should invest that money. And I know, you know, you get almost mixed messages. You hear that real estate is the best thing you could ever put your money into. And then other people swear by investing for the future in in money market accounts and stuff. You know, is there really a best practices as far as this goes? And if you really thought someone came to you and they tell you what their financial outcome desire is... And they say, and this is why I want to do this. Would there be times where you might say, you know what, though, you probably need to start doing this over here first and then come back to me? Yeah, well, I often get asked, you know, what I should be investing in uh, at social gatherings, at least back when we used to have them. Yes. If I'm never going to see somebody again and they press me for a suggestion, I like to tell them that, that a pretty good strategy would be to put half your portfolio in a world stock market index like Vanguard's and then put the other half in the U.S. bond market index, and then just rebalance that once a year. It's really, really boring, but it's also really, really effective. Now, over the past 30 years, doing something like this would have cut your risk in half compared to an all-stock portfolio while still capturing about 75% of the upside returns. It's a good trade-off, but if you ask 10 different people, you'll probably get 10 different answers. Some want more real estate, some want more gold, or more U.S. Treasury bonds. You know, the variations are endless. But ultimately, the best practice is to get an understanding of the investor's risk tolerance and their time horizon, and then invest accordingly in a diversified portfolio, preferably something tied to a broad market index, say like the S&P 500 or the, the global index, something like that where you have uh, many, many uh, individual stocks held in one one index. And so you you uh, diversify away the risk of loss. Well, that sounds like good sound advice as you're saying it. And on that end, uh, right now, you know, as we've been talking throughout this conversation, there's so many people who have been diligently investing for the future and are concerned about the state of the economy as we move through 2020. Can you talk about some of the strategies that would reduce their risk and increase their income. Is that one of them that you're just saying? Uh, that's one of the approaches that you could use. Um, right now, there's a great set of funds I discovered over the past year that, that answers this concern very well. And in fact, I have all my clients invested in these funds. Uh, these are index funds that have something called put options embedded in them. Now, this is the financial equivalent of fire insurance for your portfolio. And in this case, this insurance protects investors against losses up to 15% over the course of a year. 
So if the market falls 15% and gets burned, these funds uh, with the protection of your portfolio uh, protect it from losses and then it makes you whole again, just like insurance, up to 15%. Uh, the trade-off to get this protection is that you have to be willing to forego investment returns above 9% or so per year. And given how we're in an environment where the long-term expected return for stocks is somewhere between 3 to 5% over the next decade, I think that's a very reasonable approach. Um, in addition, some investors might want to consider adding some long-term U.S. Treasury bonds and gold to their portfolio. These act as hedges that tend to go up when the market goes down and as the business cycle evolves. You'll always have something that holds up well, whether growth and inflation is either rising or falling. And a portfolio like this is sometimes called a permanent portfolio or an all-seasons portfolio, and it's done remarkably well even during the crash in 2020. This year, such a portfolio is up about 8.5% while the world indexes are down about 5.4%. Wow. And again, I'm thinking you must have some very happy customers right now. <laughs> Thankfully. And that question spoke to the people who have been investing and have the money in there. And then we have 40 million people that have been out of work. And in, in, in my world, when someone comes to me and they say, this is how low I am today, and we talk about, well, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want it to look like a little bit down the road? And there's always something then that they can start doing today to start heading towards that want desired outcome. I want to ask that same question of you for these people who have absolutely felt devastated by the last few months and may still even be dealing with unemployed circumstances because they haven't been able to come back for some reason or they couldn't get the same job back or they have health risks that aren't allowing them to get back. I'm wondering, is there anything or something that someone can do even when they are feeling so utterly strapped that they can do today to start feeling like they're on a path to a more secure financial future? It's really hard for, for anyone who has lost a job to be thinking about saving. I mean, you're, mm -hmm. you're at that point, you're just in survival mode. From a financial standpoint, um, you know, if you have credit card debt, first things first is to pay that off. You know, there's nothing that can give you a better rate of return and paying off debt that charges you 15% to 20% in interest. Now, if you don't have any of that, you know, um, you can focus on paying yourself first. You know, set an automatic transfer to go from your checking account to your savings account every month. You know, start really small. It could be five, 10, 15, $25, $50 a month. The idea is to get in the habit of saving and building wealth. And then as you get more comfortable, um, work on increasing that number gradually, eventually reaching up to a target of 15% of your income when you get back to, on your feet, and then investing it in diversified stock market and bond market index, you know, perhaps like similar to what I mentioned before. And over time, these small savings will add up, and you're not only building wealth, but you're also you know, building peace of mind that you're taking steps to build a more secure financial future. But I understand you know, when, things are, when things are hard, you, uh, you, got, you have to be in survival mode first. You have to take care of that first. Right. I'm glad then that you spoke even to the five, ten, twenty dollar a month investment because over time, that little bit it may feel like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. But them getting the mindset around, I'm putting it away, I will have it. Eventually that five dollars becomes fifty, becomes a hundred, and it does give a person some sense of accomplishment because if you save, even if you save three hundred dollars in a year and you never saved anything before, that's still more than you've ever saved before. And 
I'm speaking to that level because there are some people that are that that's going to be the accomplishment that helps them start feeling like they're getting back on their feet. So thank you for speaking to that level of savings. Because uh, I do think that the general public, if they haven't had a big enough income to invest and go already to a financial planner or analyst, they really have this perception that, I mean, really it's called wealth management. Many people wouldn't consider themselves as having wealth right? And so thank you for speaking to that because it says a lot that, um, that, that, is, that that matters even to someone who, would, who is managing millions of dollars that you can help someone get started in that way. And just so everybody can hear on a lighter note, we can hear that uh, Rainier is also a family man. So we have little kids in the background, a little, a little one. So um, <laughs> that's all good. <laughs> My little two and a half year old girl. We are getting down to the end of the interview. After going through all this information today, is there anything else that you think maybe I left out or something else that you'd want people to hold on to as a bit of uh, wisdom about finance, financial security or investing for the future? You know, I think you've, you've covered the, the points really, really thoroughly. Um, you know, with regard to investing, it's definitely a process and it, it has a lot of emotional aspects to it. And having a, a live financial advisor can, can go far in, in helping you have a, a clear mind and think straight uh, during times of stress. And I think it's, uh, it's very helpful to, to have one if you've been considering it. And I, I welcome you to, to reach out to someone that you trust. And since you can work with people across the country, and I do know that you have a very active website and you blog and give out free information in that regard, how can people find you uh, if they want to work with you or just kind of read up some of your wisdom that you put out there for, for us on the internet? Sure. Well, my company is called Parabolic Asset Management, and our website is parabolic.us, P-A-R-A-B-O-L-I-C.us. Um, over there, you can reach out to me uh, through the contact page, or you can give me a call, 619-888-4070. All right. Thanks, Rainier Trinidad. Thank you for being on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Thank you for having me here. Did you know that each time you enter Amazon to shop and you go in through my storefront at amazon.com slash shop slash Dr. Colleen Mullen. A small portion of everything you purchase for 24 hours goes to help support the cost of running this podcast. So go ahead, try it out. And while you're there, you'll also find some of my favorite self-care items along with the Coaching Through Chaos bookshelf where you'll find the books for every guest we've had along the way. Thanks so much for supporting the show. All right. That was a great interview with Rainier. And he has so much wisdom in the area of investing. He's really worth checking out. And if you do anything today to help your future, I would recommend that you go over to parabolic.us and check out his website and see if maybe there's some information on a blog post or uh, something that he might have shared that could help you start thinking more strongly about your economic future. Remember now, we are doing this show every three weeks, so watch for some other really fantastic conversations coming up. Um, we have people helping us talk about 
how to talk about sex with our kids. We have more financial information, which I think is going to be the theme of this year for people trying to figure out how are we going to recover? How do we get on our feet? How do we stay stable? And we have some great stories of overcoming drug addiction and surviving. We have other heroic stories of losing losing entire career licenses and coming back and overcoming that with a new and improved outlook and way of doing their career. Um, so many amazing guests. I feel so honored and privileged to be able to have everybody that I've had on this show on here, particularly when I can have someone like a friend of mine like Rainier on the show, because I just value what he has to say so much. And I really appreciate that I can share his knowledge with a bigger audience. So uh, I look forward to being with you here again in just a few more weeks. And in the meantime, if you want to follow me or say hi, you can reach out to me on all the socials. I'm at Dr. Colleen Mullen on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My favorite is Instagram. So feel free to say hi to me, particularly over there, and I will definitely be responding. And I also want to say thank you to my fantastic editor, Steve Corsio, over at Podcast Mansfield. And if you are getting into podcasting, feel free to look him up, podcastmansfield.com, and check out his work. So for now, Dr. Colleen Mullen, and I am signing off. And until next time, I want to say take care, stay safe, and remember that we will get through this chaos together. Thank you.